And as we continue in our series uh, on the Apostles' Creed, we actually have the same scripture reading that we had last week. And the, uh, the, what we are looking at from the Creed is actually in the same sentence from uh, what we spoke of last week. So uh, let me ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We will begin with verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now that as we uh, consider this, this weighty topic of your coming again and of, of judgment, that you will give us your understanding, that you will teach us. You've spoken to us what we need to know about this. And so, Lord, satisfy us in you, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Be seated. Last week, we uh, looked at the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And I stopped mid-sentence because the next topic, uh, we, we couldn't just tack it on, as it were. Any one of these are uh, worthy of a whole sermon series. But it goes on, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you right up front what my goal for this message is. Some of you who are here today don't have a relationship with Christ yet. And the first thing I want you to know is I am so glad you're here. And I hope that you will continue to come and to worship with us and to, and to hear 
God's word. You are most welcome here. We have good news for you, we believe. And that's why we want you to be here. But I want to be right up front as well. My goal for this message is if you don't know Jesus, that you will today face up to what the Apostles' Creed and more importantly, what the Word of God calls judgment. Now, you can choose to ignore it. And if you choose to ignore it, I still want you to continue to come. But I don't want anyone leaving here without coping with what's my eternity going to be after this judgment day? I want everyone to consider what will be my fate, my eternity, my forever after that day. That's one purpose for this sermon. But the other purpose is for those of you who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. If you are worried about the second coming of Jesus or you have some kind of fear about what's going to take place on Judgment Day or you have some kind of a, a dread because of things that you have been taught about Judgment Day, I want to share with you And I want you to leave here today with the comfort of how God's Word presents it, what the Scripture, what Jesus has told us about that day. Because I want to tell you right up front, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you have nothing to dread on that day. Now let's look first at, uh, at his return. And, and uh, again, that's a whole sermon series right there. And in the Apostles' Creed, uh, it basically says from there meaning from the right hand of God the Father. From there he will come. That's all it says about the second coming. That doesn't mean it's unimportant. It just means that's how it is addressed in this. And so we are going to narrow what we're going to talk about to just what the creed addresses. Uh, I read to you earlier from Acts 1, 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up, uh, from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And, that, and we used that last week in terms of uh, the ascension. So 
what we see is that his return is absolutely promised. We see Jesus over in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Revelation 1, 7, by the way, I'm I'm just picking a few verses. The whole scripture, and particularly the New Testament, is full of this promise. Revelation 1-7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So when will he come? People looked up when I, when I said that. <laughs> Tell us, when will he come? You know what, that's, that's kind of what uh, the people on the day of his uh, ascension were saying, okay, is, is, it, is it now? And I just have to tell you, you already know, the New Testament doesn't say. In fact, it doesn't dwell on uh, details of when. Unlike some TV channels, unlike some uh, preachers, that that's all they talk about is when it's going to be, and here's how you can know when it's going to be. And I have to tell you, every generation, every generation from, from the Jesus generation on has said it has to be now. And they've tried to identify, well, that's the Antichrist, or that's the, you know, and so it's got to be now, and, and so on. And I hope it's our generation, but if it's not, his promises are still absolutely true. So what does the New Testament, what does it emphasize then if it's not talking about the when? Well, it's kind of like what he does here before he ascends, and they say, okay, are you going to establish your kingdom right now? And instead of saying... Well, no, but here's when I'm going to do that. He tells them to do something. He says, I'm going to empower you. Go and be my witness. And that's what we see throughout the New Testament is whenever it talks about the second coming of Jesus, there is always an ethical application. In other words, I'm coming back, therefore, blank, be ready, be my witnesses. Most of it is be ready in terms of, of our life and so in our relationship with him. Second Peter, here's an example, Second Peter 3.14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, talking about when Jesus comes back, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So the New Testament is telling us again and again, don't worry about the when. Act as if it's today. Be ready as if it's today and you don't have to worry about the when. He'll take care of that. If he wanted us to know he would have made it clear. But in his wisdom, he chose not to.
So be ready. Be ready for what? Well, that's where it goes on to say, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Many of us memorized it, the quick and the dead. When I was young, I didn't quite get that one, but that's why we're using the one that says the living and the dead. That's, that's what it means. So here's the picture, and we're going to look at the picture of what's going to take place that day from Matthew 25. It's such an important scene that I want to read you that passage and comment on it as we go through it. Matthew 25. It is at once horrible and wonderful. We're going to pick up with verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. No one on earth has yet seen him in all his glory. This is, this is something new. This is going to be something that hasn't been seen yet. We have only seen glimpses up until that time. When he first came to earth, Philippians 2 tells us he made himself nothing. That's the, the virgin birth where the incarnation took place. He took on human flesh. We call that his humiliation. All of his life is his, his humiliation. He willingly set aside his glory. After the resurrection, Believers saw Jesus in his glorified body, but he had not yet ascended and been exalted to the highest place. So remember this. The last time from when he's speaking, the last time that the world in general saw Jesus he was hanging on a cross, accused of being a criminal. That's the last time it was public for all the world. When he comes back, he's going to come in his glory, and it will be awesome, it will be overwhelming, and it will be a sight for all who behold it, and here's another amazing part of that. All who behold it is everyone. Everyone is going to see that. And he, at that time, he and his people will be vindicated. No longer will there be any memory of him uh, being accused of being a criminal on the cross because he will be in all his glory. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations. That's right. All mankind 
from all ages, from everywhere, in one place. They say, what? I don't, I don't see that necessarily in, in that verse. Let me just read to you from Revelation 20. It says this in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. There it is. Everyone who has ever lived will be there. It's incredible to think about, impossible for, for us to figure out. You engineers, just stop. Just stop trying to figure out. That's got to be a big place. We've got to figure this out. Don't, don't do that. But know this. Adam and Eve will be there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Paul, Peter, but also Esau, Judas, Hitler, Mussolini, Lenin, Manson, Dahmer, and you and me. Everyone will be there. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, how does a shepherd separate the sheep from the goats? During the day, sheep and goats can intermingle. Shepherd doesn't care. That's okay. But at night, the shepherd calls his sheep. And they hear his voice. And they follow that voice while the goats are belligerent and will not follow to safety. That's how a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33 explains what it will look like on that day. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Now that's the great divide. And I have to tell you, and I say this, brokenheartedly, at that point it's too late. When he gathers, it's too late to move from the goats 
to the sheep. It had to have been prior to that. It's all done at this point except the final pronouncement. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, at first glance, or if you didn't know anything else about the Scripture, you might think, well, it looks like they've earned their way to heaven. It, it looks like you, you become a sheep and you get your reward by doing good works. And then you might look other places like Romans 2, verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works, Matthew 16, 27. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation 22.12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. But we do have the rest of Scripture. And it's got to be put into the context of all of Scripture that indicates that it is impossible for us to earn our way to heaven. Any more than we, we read Psalm 24, who shall ascend that holy hill? And, and the answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And, and some might think, okay, i got to clean up my hands and purify my heart. But the answer is no. You can't. Only Christ ascends that hill. But he's done it for us. So how do all these things fit with that if it's impossible to earn our way to heaven? Why does it, it just mention good works? Some would conclude that all, all that matters is our works, and, and so that's how we're saved ultimately. But James chapter 2 puts it in perspective. It says this in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith apart 
from works is dead. So here's the argument, basically. Faith without works will prove that faith to be not true faith at all. If there's no works to support that this faith is genuine. In fact, James goes so far to say, (laughs) you know, faith by itself. You know who's got faith by itself, he says? The demons. They know all this stuff you're calling faith. But what's the difference? Their works. That's the difference. And so, ultimately, what we see is our profession of faith will be combined with the fruit that proves it or disproves it on judgment day. And that's what the rest of the passage says as well. Here comes the contrast, verse 41, back in Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, remember that's the goats, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So just as for the the, the believer where their works prove their faith to be genuine, for the unbeliever, their works prove there is no faith. Motive is involved here. We minister to others as ministering unto Christ. How do we know about the, the, the motive being important? Over in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he's not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There, you see how motivation goes in there? It's about love for them. So then in Matthew 25, verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and they are forever. At this point, There are no reprieves. Forgiveness is only for those who have sought Christ in their lifetime. So folks that I addressed at the very beginning, if if you're not in Christ, 
it will be a horrible day that begins a torturous eternity. No parole, no possibility of escape. Now is the time. I would ask you, if you, if you want to deal with this, talk with me or, or Jason or Mark, any of the, the pastors on this staff, anyone here in the church, we'll set up a time to deal with this. But here's a big question for believers. What about that day? Will our sins be remembered? Here's how I've heard it taught. You better be obedient because on Judgment Day, we're all going to be there before the throne and everything you've ever done is going to be revealed it's, it's like we, they used to say, it'll be like a movie. Now it's the big screen. And we're going to have to, this is how I've heard it taught, we're going to have to stand there and see everything that we have done and everyone else will see it. That's why when I heard that, I wasn't looking forward to Jesus coming back. All I could think of was the shame and embarrassment that, that I would feel at that moment, even though it wouldn't be permanent because the preachers that preach that will say, but then at the end of the movie, Jesus will say, I paid for that. I don't believe that that's going to be the scene at all. If that's the picture, why would we look forward to it? And I have to say that this. If that were the case, having to watch everything in front of everybody, then we're being punished for that sin, aren't we? And that's not going to happen. So, here's what I believe the Scripture teaches, and I want you to take away. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you are trusting him alone for your eternal life, not trusting your works, trusting in what he did on the cross, you will not have to endure that punishment if there is a movie about your life, I don't believe for a moment that we're going to sit there and watch it and then he'll stand up. I think he'll stand up and say, stop that movie. We're not watching this. That's why I went to the cross for him, for her. There's no need to recount it. I paid for that. Notice in Matthew 25, for the believer, 
it doesn't talk about any of their sin, does it? When he divides them up. It only talks about the the good things that they have done. No sin is recounted. Only the things that prove our faith to be true is displayed. And none of that is going to be for our glory. It's all for his glory. There is now and there will be on that day no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One commentator put it this way. The failures and shortcomings of believers will enter into the picture on the day of judgment. But, and this is the important point, our sins and shortcomings of believers will be revealed in the judgment as forgiven sins whose guilt has been totally covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We read earlier... How's Christ to judge the living and the dead? Now that we've heard the scripture, listen to it again. In all distress and persecution with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. If you are in Christ, don't fear that day. Don't dread that day. Know that the Savior has covered you now and he will cover you then and worship him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that that is the case. That that's so far from Dreading that day, we can say even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But Lord, it also gives us the incentive to to talk to others about Christ. Give us hearts that are broken for those that on that day, if they don't come to you, will be separated out. And Lord... Give us your comfort. Give us a a great and joyful anticipation that that day will be a vindication for you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.